news in our hearts. Grant us to thankfully receive the same and spread it abroad in Jesus. Amen. In our last message, we are continuing to look at the rise of secularism, looking at how we might be gorillas on the ground, armed with the power of love and joy for the very countercultural message. Today we continue on with message four in our series of seven. By looking at the detritus of a church that engaged secularism poorly, then changing the narrative. We Anglicans have a long view of history. The very way that we come to faith decisions is informed by centuries of wisdom. Richard Hooker, who was an apologist to the Puritans, wrote a book called The Laws of Ecclesiastical Polity. And in that book, Hooker defined that the Anglican faith rested on three sources of authority. Scripture, tradition, and reason. Now, to be clear, he said nothing about a three-legged stool, as people like to refer it. In fact, what he wrote was actually more like a three-step staircase. Start with Scripture, clarify with tradition, and then ask, is this reasonable? When we look at both Scripture and tradition, we are looking through the long lens of history. For we cannot interpret scripture appropriately without using tradition. Scripture does not stand alone. The early church fathers did wonderful work in explaining what it is that the scriptures actually meant. But in the last 500 years or so, when the reformers were stressing scripture alone, we seem to have failed to hear the wisdom of the early church. So consider this. How often have we heard this? The gospel message is, if you believe in Jesus, you will go to heaven when you die. How many of you all have heard the gospel explained as that? A goodly number. A goodly number. You think that the church has always used that explanation? I, I no, I see two people who, who shook their head and said no. You'd be correct in saying that. The early church would not have understood that escapist excuse for Christianity. And it's all miraculous. In fact, I went into Hobby Lobby yesterday and counted no less than three books that had escapist tones in them. But the world was getting so bad and somehow we needed to be prepared. There's a problem. That proclamation of the gospel is faulty because it is incomplete. For you can search for the phrase, go to heaven, all you want through the scriptures, and you will not find it. Instead, rather, Jesus tells us that he will prepare a place for us, that where he is, there we also will be. And Paul tells us that he would rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord in the second letter to the but this wasn't ever the need of the proclamation. Instead, laboring in a world that is fallen is. 
In fact, we've been hearing a narrative that's been anchored in the perception of the secular system as a threat. Notice what the goal is. If I believe, I can escape. The Church, since the Reformation, has stressed this to try and run from any semblance of work that we might do in order to stress that we cannot save ourselves. Well, that's partially right. Unfortunately, though, that has led us to fail to see that we work out our salvation by doing in the body those things that the Lordship of Jesus demands from us. Let's look at what a heaven-only understanding of the gospel omits. There's a response that we have to make. There's nothing about prayer, fellowship, <coughs> repentance, perseverance, much less gathering together as the family of God on the Sunday and being nourished in word and sacrament. Just believe and your in is not much of a gospel. There's no change. There's no real good news right now. And let's counter that with what the gospel accounts say. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Or, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Or even in today's gospel lesson, shows us the penalty of having a spirit of perpetual unforgiveness. If you will not forgive the sin that another, then do not expect your sins to be pardoned either. Don't take it from my mouth, Jesus just said it. My point in sharing all these verses is to help you look at the whole counsel of what Scripture teaches us. Following Jesus has a predictable cost. The goal is to bring in the kingdom of God in the here and now. The fact that we are reconciled with God only to have the heaven effect is only when our bodies are worn out and we can no longer do gospel work. But our aim is not to die. It's not to escape. In fact, we were originally made by our Creator, apart from sin, to have bodies that never die. The message of the Gospel is about the Kingdom of God, here and now being transformed by people like you and like me. We experience it now in our work here and now, and the heavenly destiny thing is just the sideline not the main thrust. So why do we skip into this escapism? Now I think there's something very neat, very tidy, about dividing that which is sacred with that which is secular. Some things are holy, and some things are profane, right? The Old Testament is replete with verses that tell us what to do when something has been defiled or made ceremonially unclean. You're given a formula of the right washings and passing through fire and time alone spent in quarantine. But the gospel offends it. 
Everything that is fallen and the Old Covenant identifies it as fallen, it has found its redemption in Jesus. Instead, Jesus flips the narrative. He touches the unclean, and then it's made clean. He then tells his church to do exactly the same thing. What used to be ostracized, like the Samaritans, the lepers, and the Gentiles, has now become part of Jesus' preferred community. And now, part of our community. Let's put this in kids' terms. I made a promise to somebody in this congregation that I would mention cooties somewhere in the service. <laughs> <laughs> so put it in kids' terms. We, the church, do not get cooties from the world. We are charged to pass out the cooties and declare the good news that the kingdom has come, albeit imperfectly, in the here and now, cooties and all. And there's nothing to escape from. You see, in Jesus, heaven invades earth. Part of heaven, then, is already here, and what we see that is good and gracious and loving when the church acts in its own community is proving that God is not simply waiting for us somewhere up in the sky, or that would be a rather weak message indeed. Instead, he is down here with us in the presence of his Holy Spirit, laboring with us every time we take on the brokenness of the world around us. My friends, this world is always going to have its problems. It is not getting any worse either. It has always been wicked from the start. It's just we report on it more now, so we know what's going on. It's always been filled with the brokenness of murders and rapes and addiction and kidnapping and thievery and trafficking and every other way in which human beings misuse their freedom and make wrong choices. We are to provide the alternative and live in the tension of a fallen world where we are the ones who must bring the good news or the world does not have it. In closing, I'm going to give you an alternative viewpoint. It's one shared by many. It is not looking at this world with heaven as the summit of God's work, but when heaven invades earth through us. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, Jesus has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The whole point of the Gospels is that the coming of God's kingdom on earth as in heaven, as we pray every time we say the Lord's Prayer together, is bringing this fallen world the news of the human face of God and people like you and, and like me who bear the image of God in our lives. And yet that message is radically different from everything fallen that we know. And yet he isn't afraid of the cooties of the secular world, and neither should we be. The gospel is incarnational. 
It is here, it is now, it gets dirty, and it works. We are charged to work in it, not escape from it. We all know that we do not, as the epistle lesson says, die to ourselves. But we also need to be reminded that as Christians, neither do we live to ourselves. And next week, we're going to do a little bit of a shift. We've been talking about all of the perceived threats from outside and how it's limited the narrative of who we are as Christians. But in the next three Sundays, the conclusion of this series, we're going to move to an internal approach. Like, what if we prize our confession of faith in this broken world instead of worrying so much about whether or not we get numbers of conversions? Stay tuned. Thank <laughs> you.